Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today and, as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Justin Smith, is the founder and president of Hawkeye Wealth, which sources and vets private commercial real estate deals from third parties to present to their clients. Now, Justin and his team believe that most people's portfolios can truly benefit from exposure to commercial real estate, and their aim is to make it easier for their clients to get involved investing capital in various value-add and development projects in Canada and the U.S., primarily in the space of multifamily and industrial projects. Now, Justin, having experienced firsthand the role real estate can in fact play in wealth preservation and creation, created and founded Hawkeye Wealth, which is to bring together and match real estate investment opportunities from the most experienced and top performing issuers to meet the needs of high net worth and institutional investors. He holds a bachelor's degree from the University of British Columbia and an MBA from Simon Fraser University. He's also a lover of adventure, most recently embarking on a 48 state RV road trip with his wife, Elaine, and their two-year-old son, Grayson, where they were chased out of the Florida Keys by Hurricane Irma. Listen in as Justin and I talk business, real estate, family life, and far more than all that. Enjoy. Justin Smith, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast, my friend. Good to have you on the show. Good to be here. Thanks, Patrick. So we're going to get to work right away. Uh, Excited to have this opportunity to interview you, Justin, and some really brief background in a minute, but I want to kind of kick off with, you know, I always like to kick off with people getting to know you, why you're on the show, who you are. So kind of give me a little bit of a 30 second, two minute elevator pitch when somebody says, so Justin Smith, what do you do? 
Oh, we're in the business of helping people invest in private commercial real estate opportunities. And Hawkeye Wealth's job in the world, that's that's my firm, our job in the world is essentially three things. It's to go and find commercial real estate strategies that we think will perform well over the next uh, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, we'd like to take as long term of a time horizon as possible. Uh, then our second job in the world is to identify third-party groups that we believe execute very well on those strategies. Uh, and then the last part uh, of value-add for our clients is as those groups release commercial real estate opportunities, our job is to then go and do due diligence on a deal-by-deal -deal basis before presenting uh, those deals to our clients. So we connect clients with commercial real estate investment opportunities that have been hopefully well-selected by us. Now, so that's interesting. And, and just in the context of commercial, so that there isn't an overlap, we're not talking, we're literally talking commercial, like office buildings or perhaps storage facilities. Um, what else might fall into that category for you? But the, are you also talking uh, multifamily residential when you talk yeah, commercial? Yeah, so the, the, there's there's a whole bunch of different uh, types, but the four the four main food groups would be your your office, your industrial, uh, your multifamily, and your retail. And then you have some some niches on each of those, as you're saying, uh, self self storage, maybe senior housing for multifamily, and and there's different branches off off of that. Our focus primarily has been on uh, multifamily and industrial. Uh, haven't really done much office. Not that I, not that I wouldn't. And we don't really do uh, much retail here. Just long-term trends uh, have dictated to us that you know there there could be some opportunity, but we're not we're not really looking for any opportunity. We're looking for the best opportunity. So when I talk about strategies that we choose, that the two main strategies have been uh, in multifamily with a focus mostly in the U.S., but some in Canada as well, and industrial uh, here, mostly here in the Lower Mainland. So yeah, I was going to say you're located in uh, British Columbia in the lower mainland of British Columbia. And is that your primary focus of where you're placing capital uh, from your investors? Or are you kind of going national or even I think you got some stuff going into the US because you do some work with Western wealth. And, and, I'm, and I'm making some assumptions. I'm going back in my memory here, Justin. So please feel free to correct me. I, I don't need to be right. Uh, yes, yes. Well, well, we're looking at opportunities in commercial real estate anywhere in, in North America. So if we think it's the right market and we think it's the right strategy, then then we're open to it. Uh, our investor base is, is located, I'd say the majority is in Western Canada, but getting more and more clients as well from out east as well. So we'll, we'll raise capital from BC to Ontario, not, not east of there, but we're, we're an exempt market dealer registered to do business in all those provinces. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that because I love these podcasts to give people insights into the, you know, the, some of the nuances of real estate investing that not everybody is familiar with. So you use the term exempt market dealer, EMD, and, and not everybody understands exempt market dealer. And I want to take it off on a little bit of a rabbit hole just quickly. Can you, can you give us a description of what an EMD is and what the role is in investing in real estate? Because I think it's important for those who don't understand what exempt market dealer does and the role to, to understand it. I think it's a really a, a good thing to know. Yeah. An exempt market dealer is a registered firm. So we're, we're very highly regulated, uh, primarily by the BC Securities Commission. And what that allows us to do is, is go and take private offerings of any kind. It doesn't necessarily have to be real estate. So let's say, uh, Patrick, you have a 
one of your companies and you want to go raise some capital and it's not a pub, you're, not, you're not a publicly traded company, it's a private deal, uh, you would come to a group like an exempt market dealer to raise capital. Now, our focus is exclusively on commercial real estate. So anytime, anytime you, uh, I'm going to use the word securitize here, maybe I'm maybe too technical of a term, but anytime you securitize an asset, which let's say, for example, commercial real estate, you're going to buy it in a limited partnership, and then you want to sell limited partnership units to a variety of people, uh, you're not selling a commercial piece of commercial real estate, you're selling a security. And anytime you're selling a security, uh, there are regulations surrounding that. So an exempt market dealer is licensed and registered to be able to offer securities in the private markets. Now, and, and so for clarity, I mean, that really is an EMD is kind of the buffer, if you will, or it's a layer of you know, the intention, I think, behind it is to actually buffer the risk mitig- or be a risk mitigation to the, we'll call it consumer or the investor. So in other words, Correct. you you have a lot of responsibility representing that investor. And as an EMD, you're highly scrutinized in the deals that you do, which is the intention behind it is to protect the investor, the unsophisticated investor who happens to have money, but doesn't really understand necessarily what they're investing in. Would that be? Yeah. Or, or even, or even the sophisticated investor, our, our duty is to the client, not to the, the issuers that we're raising money for. So if you were to come uh, and, and let's say you had a, the deal of a lifetime, Patrick, and you and I were to, to put that together, my ultimate duty would be to the client. So if I'm doing due diligence and, and going through and, and, you tell me it's all good, but I can see that it's not all good. My duty is not uh, towards you to go and raise the funds. My duty is is towards the client. So uh, that's really what it's set up as you're as you're saying for uh, us to go and and do proper due diligence and and make sure that uh, clients are getting into the the best deals possible. And yes, we're we're heavily regulated. We you know we have to do monthly anti-money laundering reports and and we're audited every single year and we'll have interviews with the securities commission to make sure that we're we're operating within uh, within their guidelines and rules uh, but you've kind of touched on it here it's beyond that there's just a huge responsibility when you're working with other people's money and it's it's something actually that I you know I I on occasion, I struggle with because there's a lot of stress that comes. It's a lot easier for me to just invest my own money, Patrick. It's, <laughs> it, it, you don't carry the weight of uh, and the responsibility of other people's money. I totally get that. Yeah, it's it's huge. Well, I mean, I learned it very early on in my in my my life. I was just. Uh, finishing up my schooling and and was getting a little bit more involved in in the stock market and trading. And of course, I, like many of your listeners, probably I got the hot stock tip, right, Patrick? And I uh, took a little bit of money out of a line, a student line of credit that I had to go and invest. I was actually recently married. I don't know if my wife was the biggest fan of it at the time, but we were on the same page with it. And and uh, I watched this thing turn from $2,000 into $6,000. It was a tungsten mine in Korea. And uh, I was, I, I thought I knew everything about tungsten. And, and I, quite frankly, I thought I knew a lot more than I did about anything at that time. And what do you do when you triple your money, right? Well, you double down. So I, I, uh, I thought I could swear I had the conversation with my wife, Patrick, that uh, <laughs> we're going to pull a little bit more out of the line of credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She doesn't remember it how I remember it here. But ultimately, it took about another... 
uh, almost $18,000 out of this line of credit. We didn't have any money. And I don't even think either of us had jobs at the time. But you know, the, the 20000 that we had into it ultimately turned into $40,000. Patrick, at this time, I thought you know I could do no wrong. And uh, I was never going to have to work a day in my life, right? And of course, it was so good that I had to pass along the hot stock tip. Um, and I, I passed it along to a friend who invested, I think he told me about $3,000 through an RSP. This friend's pretty well to do actually. And, you know, and if he lost $3,000, it would be nothing. But of course, what happens to the stock, it slowly starts to unwind and, you know, it's worth 35, 30, don't worry, honey, it's coming back. It's coming back 25, 20. And eventually I sold it for about $2,000. And I think about that $18,000 that I lost very early in my career. It was a a wonderful, you know, it it taught me probably as much as as a lot of the other educations, formal educations I've received. But when I look back at it and I look at my $18,000, the the most stressful part for me was the call that I had to make to my friend because he wasn't really watching it to let him know that this thing had just had essentially just tanked and you know the three thousand dollars that he had he didn't have anymore so you know it's it's built into who we are um trying to mitigate the risks as as much as we can there's risk in what we do of course but yes it is it is a weight that we carry yeah it's interesting that you learn those lessons that when do you learn to pull the profits off the table and then just stop and uh you know those are those are interesting lessons and they're still i think many years later i look at how many times I haven't pulled a profit off the table and then, and I wouldn't say regretted it, but yeah, probably, I guess, no, regret's probably the right word. I go, shit, why didn't I, you know, was it greed that kicked in or what the hell? Why didn't I just stop, you know? And I think there is a, a place where you do get a little bit complacent. When things are going great, you know, you don't get granular. You go, hey, hey, this is working. Well, you know, don't mess with this formula, but it still has to be checked. I guess it's true. The ultimate thing there. Now, uh, Justin, you've you've been uh, you know you've been a part of the rain community for a number of years, and and one of the things that is interesting to me, anyways, is that you're a relatively young man. I mean, you're 35 years old, but you've been playing the game quite some time. And what I've always seen with you is that you keep showing up. You're always there. You're always in creating your network, networking, being a contribution. You're you're always engaged. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So. How at 35 years old, because I, you know, I know many, uh, you're, I guess, are you still a millennial or are you just over the edge? I don't remember. Anymore. You know, I, I, I've got a little bit of an identity crisis that way. I, I <laughs> just, just on the leading, I'm on the leading edge of it. Yes. Yeah. But the point is, is that, you know, we see, I see lots of 35 year olds who are so incredibly successful, 32, early thirties. And which is always kind of, I always admire that. Like I, I go, wow, that's so cool to see that degree of success at that early of an age. And I'm wondering, you know, for you, like when we look, when you look back, how long have you been playing the game? What got you interested in investing in real estate and what took you on the journey of kind of becoming the EMD and creating Hawkeye wealth? Because I think you started out in just what investing I'm, I'm guessing, but is it, did you start investing in just residential real estate, uh, yes, Justin, or yes, how did you, yes. how did your journey uh, begin? In, got, got, in, uh, got involved in 2011, but yeah, I, I, I'm still, I'm certainly not, um, most people in, in this business are older than me. Uh, when I, when I walk into a room, I'd say I, I have the people that are raising capital. Maybe the average is, is another 10, 15 years older, older than I am. And on top of that, Patrick, I also look younger, uh, 
than I am. People are shocked to hear that I'm 35 uh, when I tell them that. In fact, I, I go home. My parents are in Kelowna. So I usually go uh, go back to Kelowna and spend some time in the summer. And every year I, I, grow, I grow a goatee. I, I keep a goatee to keep a little age on me. And, and uh, every year I go back to Kelowna though, I shave it. I shave it clean, Patrick, just to see if, you know, I look 21 yet. And, uh, you know, if I don't, I grow the goatee back, right? And I've always grown the goatee back. <laughs> so at, at first, you know, you look at it and you say, am I at a disadvantage from how young I am or, or how young I look? And I think where I've been able to come with it is, is I think it's, it's oftentimes really quite an advantage. I think on the investing side, you know, so many people, if, if you're 60 years old or 70 years old, Maybe your primary concern is protection of capital. I guess that, that's our primary concern too. But your second concern is how can I how can I exit a deal quickly or how can I make money a little bit quicker? And and being in our 30s, I'm okay waiting. I, I just did a 10-year deal myself, right? I put a lot of cash in a deal that's going to pay me out over 10 years. And the deal might go longer than that. And that's okay with me. Uh, being able to afford on the investment side to take that longer term perspective, I think is going to bode well uh, for our performance ultimately. We're, we're willing to wait and we're, and we're young enough to wait. So, so I think it's an advantage that way. I also think that a lot of our clients, because we work uh, almost exclusively with accredited investors, which, which uh, yeah, I'm not sure, Patrick, if you've gone through what the definition is, but tend to be well, well-to-do um, folks, folks that have been pretty successful. And oftentimes they'll, they'll come and they'll introduce us to their kids. And you know, there's enough, we're old enough that, that we can gain the trust of, of the boomers, which are oftentimes the accredited investors. Some of them are younger, but oftentimes, you know, that forties, fifties, sixties is, is who we're working with. And they have kids that they, uh, that they can introduce to us and we can relate to the kids because we're still young enough to do that. So I found it's quite an advantage. I, my business partner is actually a little bit younger than I am. And, uh, I went and at one of the events we had spoke to one of his clients and I said, you know, why do you do my business partner? His name's Mark. I'm like, why do you do business with Mark? And the client, you know, is probably in his, his uh, late fifties, early sixties kind of leans in and he says, Justin, Mark's kind of one of those guys that you want your daughter to marry. <laughs> and I just think, wow, does that ever encapsulate what, what Hawkeye's about, right? You know, you're, you're young enough that you've got the energy, um, but you're old enough that you can, that you can gain the trust in it. You know, if I were to hire on other people that are going to raise capital with us, you know, uh, that's probably a question I'm going to ask myself, you know, if I go to the same client, is this the kind of person that they'd want their daughter to marry? And if they are, you know, there's a good chance, good chance they'll have some success with us. You just opened up a, a number of paths that I want to go down, but I, I, st- I want to circle back. Okay. Because I want to understand how, what flipped for you, because you've actually been doing this since so 10, 10 ish years uh, yep, at least. Done. And, and so, so that you had been 25, that's even younger. What got you started on the path of investing in real estate? I mean, we can talk about what got you to where you are and, and what Hawkeye Wealth is doing. Got it. But I want to go back and say, what sets you apart in that millennial world? Because lots of 25-year-olds don't talk real estate. They don't. It's not even on their radar. And so what's, what was it for you? What was the tipping point for you? Or how did you get involved in the world of real estate? At such a young age, yeah, it it was. Uh, I I felt like I got involved much too late. Um, it's I'm 
I'm sure many people can relate to that. I, I did my uh, I did my undergrad in psychology, so so did that for a few years. And and you read enough psychology textbooks, and you think you have you know every mental disease under the under the sun, Patrick. So I realized I didn't want to do that. So got into banking more on the retail side. Did that for a uh, for a couple of years. Realized that banking isn't what I what I thought it was. So. Uh, as an escape from that, I decided to come to Vancouver and do my do my MBA at Simon Fraser, with the idea that when I was done the MBA, that everybody was going to come banging down my door to to pay me six figures. Right? I uh, I quickly realized that wasn't the case. I finished uh, finished my MBA up in twenty in twenty ten. And I had a couple of interviews, but again, with big institutions that were, uh, you know, similar to the bank, I felt. And I just told my wife, I just couldn't, couldn't do it, wasn't ready to go back into that world yet. Uh, but enough time went by that financially, we were just getting pretty squeezed. We were going to have to get something. And, and I actually met my wife at the MBA. Neither of, us, neither of us had jobs. So I was getting concerned. In fact, it got to a point where uh, there was such a gap in my resume that I uh, wanted to go get some volunteer experience just so that people knew I was doing something. So I uh, went to one of the museums in Vancouver. They needed some marketing help. And I'm thinking, you know, M- MBA, right? They're going to, of course, they're going to want me. So they sit, they sit uh, me down for an interview process. And uh, I was looking forward to getting started on that. And of course, two weeks later, I get the email and they said, sorry, sorry, Justin, we've decided to go with another candidate. And I thought, my good, I, it's free, Patrick. It's free. I wasn't going to cost them any money. I'm sitting here in debt from this education that I've got, and nobody. It was it was a low of lows for me, and so I uh, I, I finally got a job, uh, one that I was uh, you know, ma- managing a territory for a food company. I was quite miserable in it. Lasted about eight months in that, and then um, and then finally, uh, to to your question, was invited by my landlord to a real estate conference. I didn't even know they existed, so we chatted a little bit about investing. I've always been interested in investing. Didn't really have much money besides my my two thousand uh, dollars that I had in the line of credit and my twenty grand that I'd just lost. So you know, was open to doing something different. And he brought me to this real estate conference, and I was just blown away that it could attract. The topic could attract that many people. So uh, it was there where I got introduced to the topic. And it was there also where I, I met uh, met the gentleman who got me into the business. I, I went up to him afterwards. It was one of the guys that gave a presentation. And and uh, he had a certain energy about him. And I basically just told him that I had to work with him. And you know what could we do? So two weeks later, I quit my job and, <laughs> and uh, started figuring things out. Now, if you're giving... Okay, so... I don't know if this is a great question or not, but it just popped into my head is that as I'm listening to you share that story, you know, I hear lots of really cool. I mean, I thought, you know, cool things, which is, you know, number one is the thought of going to the museum is, is, is quite, quite innovative. Like it's like, you're really stretching yourself to go, how, what's the solution for what I need here? So that's, that's an interesting thought. Not many people are prepared to do that or would even think that that's something you should do or would be appropriate. No. So that's cool. I love the thought because I'm, I'm on that page. I've actually had people come to me and go, you know, I just, I'll work for free. I need the experience. Can you do something? So that, that's kind of, I love that kind of mentality. That's just my own personal view of it. But if you're give, if people that are listening with 25 year old kids, is there any guidance you can give a parent to, you know, to, 
to tell them, uh, you know, how do you, how do you get the 25 year old that's not inspired, not as motivated as you are? Was, were you motivated because of pain, by the way, were you like, your parents are going, yeah, sorry, I got nothing for you. <laughs> so where, oh, where, where were they in the picture, Justin? Yeah, no, my, my parents. So, so I quit, I quit my job that paid me every two weeks. My wife had also gotten a job uh, that was paying every two weeks. And the only reason I was able to quit it and get into this industry is because she was working was, it was a commission only job. So, you know, you have the potential to come out with zero dollars. I've got some a pretty funny story around, uh, around that one too, but it's uh, to the, to the kids, you just got to go and, and put yourself out there. Sometimes I think sometimes life is a little bit, Sometimes you got to do all the walking yourself. Sometimes you go and you're you're hopping on a train, and uh, and I didn't know it at the time, but when I met the gentleman that I met at this conference, and and uh, he got me going, I was I was hopping on a train, and and I could go to a hundred conferences, and I might not I might not get anything else, but on the hundred and first conference, something happens that dramatically changes my life, and I feel that way about a lot of things, Patrick. I felt. I feel that way about my education too. You know, when people ask me, they often ask me if an MBA is worth it, right? Um, a lot of people, when they're considering career changes or, uh, you know, they, they want a change in their lives, they, they go back and they do education. And I say, you know, is it worth it? Well, I probably, I probably remember five, six things from my entire MBA. Like I don't, my memory is not that good for that stuff, but, but the value of those five or six things is immense. And the five or six people that I met that I still stay in touch with is immense. And, you know, if you don't show up, if you don't show up, you don't give yourself a chance for that nugget. So I think sometimes people say, oh, you know, I can go do this, but nothing's going to come of it. It might be true. But if you go and you do it enough times, put yourself out there enough times, good stuff can happen. And, And I went from a position of, a very reactive mindset to being in a position where I couldn't afford to be reactive. I, I got into the uh, the pre-sales business. And if you sat there and you waited for people to call you and, and, and buy a pre-sale unit, you were going to go hungry for a long time. And your wife was going to bring home the, my wife was going to bring home the check and ask me, you know, what I was doing with my life and bringing home zero dollars. Like that, that transition from reactive to proactive made all the difference in my life. And, and I, did, I didn't know that was going to happen when I decided to go with a conference, to, to go to a conference with my landlord. All I did was say yes. It was, was one yes, one yes that got me on a trajectory that uh, changed my life. So. So, so I want to dig into a couple of things. First, I want to ask you, you know, do you want to do a shout out to that person that you got on the train with? Yeah, yeah, Who was absolutely. It, it was uh, D- Dave Steele. I believe you've had him on the, uh, oh, on the podcast before. I, I know Dave Steele well. He's been on our stage many times. So... Uh, that's cool. You know, Dave, of course, has certainly got that reputation as does, uh, his team. So that's cool. Uh, thanks for sharing that. And a big shout out to Dave Steele. I'm a, uh, I'm a big fan and, and, uh, and consider myself a, at least a, a close acquaintance of Dave and, uh, uh, him and I have had many conversations and it's really in character with who Dave is. So that's really cool. Now, the next part of the kind of conversation for me is interesting about you saying reactive and you went to a conference. Now, here's something that I want to ask you, okay? Because you're 25, you're then now 35, you've been to many, many conferences, and you've talked to thousands of people. 
And one of the things that I've observed in my 35 years of business and 20 years of being in the real estate world is what we talk with people about, which is being in motion versus being in action. You use the phrase uh, reactive as to being proactive. And I don't know if that's the same conversation, but I see time and time again, you know, people are constantly going to conferences and free meetup groups and this mastermind and that, but they're doing nothing. Yet they are believing, I think, that they're, you know, they're being busy and in their world, they're taking action when in fact, all they're being is in motion. They're not taking action. They haven't actually, to your point, you know, you got your MBA, was that education valuable? Like you say, you know, hard to tell, but you know that there's at least a half a dozen reasons that it was in value and you can only, you know, was a value and, and you can only tell that in reflection. But Speak to me about your experience of that particular point, because whether you're 25, 35, or 65, you know, these real estate conferences, what was the difference? Like, why did you actually get into action? Was it just that inspiration and going, I'm not going home to my wife and saying, I'm not getting shit done. I'm like, I got to do something here. Um, but do you see that pattern as well in, in just people in general in the world of real estate? Cause that's what we're talking about in this case. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's important to remember the results. And, and I, I've had this conversation with a number of people, people, a lot of people talk about the process, um, focus on the process, not the result. And then you have the other school, which is results that are all that matter. Don't care how you get it done. Just go and get it done. And, and, um, come to learn a few things. First of all, when I, when I got into the business, uh, that transition, that transition, that mindset shift to going and making stuff happen. Like you say, you can go when you can, you can, you know, fill your day full of empty calorie actions. Right. But to go and actually do things that move the needle, the, the big learning point, or I guess the big experience I had was just having no success. When I first got into this business, I, I told you, I got uh, involved with Dave. Dave was uh, building properties up in Northeast BC and, and, um, for a number of months, I think I was probably doing exactly what you said, empty calorie actions so that when my wife came home from a hard day's work and she asked me what I did, well, at least I had a list of things that I could say that I did regardless of, of whether they produced results or, or not. Right. And that went on for, I'd say a number of months, uh, probably about six months up until the point when uh, we were driving together uh, down Highway 1 right by Willingdon. I remember it. And she looks at me and, she, you know, pretty, pretty serious eyes. And, and I, you know, I, Justin, you got to get a job. And I just remember getting crushed because I'd just come from that world. I, I never wanted to go back and get a job. Uh, you know, I was, I was enjoying the, the freedom and, but I understood where she was coming from. I, I wasn't, I wasn't pulling my weight. I wasn't getting the results. And I said, well, you know, what am I going to say? No, I'm not going to go get a job because she's, she's got a point. So I said, I'll tell you what, honey, I'll go and make $10,000 in commissions this month. If I don't make $10,000 in commissions, I'll go and get a job. And immediately she says, yes, 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 yes. And then immediately I'm thinking, okay, well, freak. I should have said 
five thousand dollars, you probably would have been happy with that too, right? So you know, I, <laughs> I, I'd I'd put a bandaid on the current problem, which is at least I get another month, right? But of course, I created a new problem for myself, which I actually had to get results. And through that process, you know, you, you go and you say, I have no choice but to do things that move the needle, because if I don't move the needle, I don't get to keep doing what I'm doing. And so I went and and. Of course, guess how much money I made that month? $10,035. Nice. nice. It was was almost part luck. Yeah, I go 35 (laughs) bucks away from not being here with you today, Patrick. It was a close one. I think if if it was 9999, she would have given me the boot. So, you know, it's it's, results matter uh, in this business. And the key is, you know, I, I found it's pretty simple. You find, you you choose what your desired result is. You choose the actions to achieve the desired result. You take the actions to achieve the desired result. And then you wait for the result to happen. And and when it goes wrong, it's only three possible things. Either you're not taking the right actions or you're taking the right actions, but not executing them at at a high enough level, or you just haven't waited waited long enough. So, you know, groups like Rain and, and, and having people there to talk to, I found extremely valuable because... There's people that can tell you which is which because where you diagnose, if you're not getting results, how you diagnose that problem is very important. If you just haven't waited long enough, uh, then someone who's been there before can tell you, you just haven't waited long enough to get the results. You're doing all the right things. I believe you're executing at the right level. You just haven't waited long enough. Or, or if you're, you know, if you're not taking the right actions and you're sitting there waiting and, and you're, you know, you're saying to be patient, be patient, be patient. Well, you're never going to get anywhere because you haven't done the right things to get to where you want to go. So, you know, having the right, the right communities and right people in your life is key. And, and that's why, you know, groups, groups like yours, Patrick, I think are so valuable for your members. You know, the, I, I don't want to step over a couple of things. You know, number one, I love, and I'd never heard it before. So I don't know if it's yours or you found it somewhere else. Doesn't matter. But you know, that whole empty calorie actions is really, it's a kind of a cool term, right? Because it does leave you thinking that you've done something, but there's really nothing that you've done. It's, it's like zero calories. There's no energy there. There's nothing that's going to come from it. And I just love that terminology, by the way, it just doesn't produce results. You know, empty calorie actions don't produce result, which is really speaks to what I, you know, say is, are you in motion? Are you in action? And, and ultimately, um, you've got to be doing something that is actually producing a result, whatever that result might be. Yeah, I, I would also say on the other hand, I, I do think it's important if you if you know you're doing the right thing. Sometimes, sometimes we want to achieve a desired result, and in, and you reverse engineer it. Patrick, say here's where I want to go, and you reverse engineer it to create a plan to get to where you want to go, and you know that the plan is good based on previous experience, and then you go and you do all you do all the work and. And you don't get to where you are as a result. I, I, I do think there's a balance here because you need to, just because you don't get to where you want to go, you need to be able to sleep at night and be proud of what you've done, right? So I think it's just a, a, a question of getting, the right, of getting the right plan and being honest with yourself about whether you're, you're, uh, you're taking the right actions and, and executing at a level you need to. And that, uh, again, uh, having a mentor there to tell you whether that's the case is is valuable. But I don't want. There's more than just results. Sometimes, if you're doing the right things, maybe your plan wasn't quite perfect. You can adjust it for the next time. 
Um, I think you know it's, it's easy to get your down on yourself just because you don't get the results. But I do think it's important that you hold the, the, your desired result out in front of you to make sure that you're, you're actually doing the things that will get you there. Yeah, and I really get that. And, and, and so, you know, in, in the context of where I'm kind of going with it is, is that in, initiating a plan or actually developing a plan or working backwards from a, an intended outcome is we have to spend time sharpening the saw. You know, it's really, have I got the right education? Am I, you know, have I learned enough about what it is that I'm trying to do? Uh, have I surrounded myself with the right people, the right team, whatever that, you know, so there is, a, there is a point where there's a lot of preparation, you know, so luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And so it's more a case of the fine line that we have to cross at some point going, okay, you've learned enough, you've talked to enough people, you are surrounded in, you know, you put yourself in the right environment. And at some point you actually got to make a call. You got to make a decision you have to actually execute on something that moves you towards your goal. Where I, what I guess for this conversation, we don't need to beat it to death is how many people stay stuck in the preparation and never actually pull the trigger on something. And I, and I think in, in your case, you know, as a, you know, the, being the guy that raises capital and EMD, you're, you're actually supporting people in making decisions and actually taking action. So how often do you run into the, place where people want to get invested. They know real estate's the direction they want to go and they do homework and they think it through and they do more homework and they think it through, but they never really take action. And, and that's kind of the fine line there, whether it's in your case, raising capital and somebody investing in a, an LP, for example, or somebody pulling the trigger on their, their first residential property that they intend to put into a, an investment portfolio. Yeah. It's yes. Yeah, sad when they don't get started, isn't it, Patrick? You've, you've seen it time and time again. It's, I don't, I mean, it's not really my business. If, if someone goes and does all the homework and, you know, if you do, let's say we go through the process and you don't do one deal, you know, you, maybe you didn't like the deal after you did your homework or it wasn't right for you for whatever reason, you know, that's okay. And then I'll, I'll, that happens to me all the time. Right. Um, but if it becomes a pattern, I just stop working with you. It, you know, I am, you're not going to be on my list to call anymore. When I have a deal, you're just not going to see the deal anymore. It's, uh, it's, it's really sad because your, your inaction is, is really not just going to limit your ability to move forward, but limit the opportunity that's presented to you. In the other, uh, shout out, I want to do, I want to, I gotta, we got to give a shout out to your wife. I mean, you know, I still am a big believer in, in my experience and, and I know in my own life and many other uh, men I see, I, I always say, you know, whether it's man or, or, you know, husband, wife behind every, you know, successful man, they say there is a powerful woman. And, uh, you know, you think about your wife drawing a line in the sand for you and as a couple and going, I love you, but you're going to get your ass to work. You know, you got to make some money. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, she I probably didn't a, say it uh, quite that way, but <laughs> <laughs> not too far off. It's, uh, you know, I wrote down a list of things that I, that I wanted, uh, when I, when I was young, I, you know, I had an idea of what I wanted in a spouse. And one of the things was somebody who will let me be crazy, but knows when I'm being too crazy and will pull me back. And my, my wife is an incredible judge and, and very discerning on which situation is applicable. Um, and I'm, I'm just very grateful for that because, uh, 
you know, sometimes I am being too crazy and, and maybe you've experienced this as well, Patrick, as an entrepreneur, you're getting ideas all the time that you want to execute on. I, they happen to me nonstop. And so having, um, having Elaine there uh, by my side, just as a, as a sounding board has created immense value, um, for, for Hawkeye. And I also a shout out to my business partner, Mark, who's the same, who's the same thing. It's, it's nice to not go it alone because we, you know, we all see the world through our own lens and there's such value in, in going and getting another perspective. Now, I also want to go back to, uh, something that you mentioned earlier, which to me is, is really important. And that is that you're young, you're in a big money game. I mean, you've raised millions, tens of millions. You've raised a lot of money over the years. So you're young in doing that, but you make a really interesting point. On top of actually really being young at 35 years old and interacting with accredited investors who are generally older, boomers kind of thing, not always, but more likely to be in that category, you're having to show up and you look young on top of it all. You look young. So there's also a place where I see time and time again, you know, cause I get asked the question all the time, you know, Patrick, I, I can't raise capital. I just, you know, I, people, I, how do you raise capital? And here you have somebody like you, who's got a lot of things going for them intellectually and you're smart and you're good looking, but you're young. So that's all to kind of preface the conversation, which is, how conscious have you become of how you have to show up? So in other words, not in what you're doing, but how you're being, you know, aside from, you know, maybe being well-dressed, is there a certain understanding that you've developed or a focus that you have of how you are occurring for people, you know, how you show up in that space? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing that happened to me was just a, a change in in belief of how I viewed myself. I talk about being young and feeling young, but as far as 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 far as feeling that it's a disadvantage when I enter in any conversation, I don't feel that's the case at all. Now, my, my belief is is it's at a minimum neutral at at, but possibly even an, an advantage. And you know, belief. You can tell yourself you believe something, but whether or not you believe it is actually what's more important than what than what you tell yourself, right? And and for me, you know, getting into the business after that after that ten thousand um, dollar month, it was that came from one sale. Well, then came the next project, right? And I have a little bit more belief, right? So maybe I'm going to sell. You know, this this young face is going to sell more than one property. Maybe I'm going to sell two. And I remember having that conversation with with uh, Elaine and. So I walk into the sales meeting and, and uh, Dave, of course, is going to all the different people that are doing, that are sales agents and asking how much you're going to sell. And so basically he's asking a question of belief, right? And, and so, you know, it goes through and one of the agents, you know, I'm going to sell seven, I'm going to sell eight, I'm going to sell five. And then it gets to me and I'm sitting here saying, man, I'm, I'm here with my lowly two. And uh, I don't, I just, you know, you've talked to Dave you don't want to, you don't want to tell Dave some small number. So I'm thinking, well, maybe it's not two, maybe it's four. So I yell, I yell out four when Dave gets to me. And of course I'm expecting him to give me this, you know, pat in the back, you know, way way to go, Justin, you know, we believe in you. That's not what I get. He gives me the, Justin, I'm really sad. I thought you were going to say like 10 and he meant it. He meant it. And I'm just, I'm just sitting here going from like, you know, 
first of all, I'm crushed, right? And then second of all, you know, I'm glad I didn't say two, I, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, but I go home and I start thinking about it, Patrick. And, and at the end of the day, one of us is going to be right. One of us is going to be right. And it's based on belief. And so would I, would I prefer my belief that I'm capable of, of selling two, even though I said four? Or would I prefer Dave's belief that, I, that my potential is I can sell 10 units? And I said, well, Frick, if one of us is going to be wrong, I'd rather be wrong and sell 10 units. So, you know, I, I got to work and, and started doing the things that, that moved the needle and ultimately uh, sold 14 properties in that development. And uh, of course, that's what kickstarted my own real estate. I, I guess I only sold thirteen because I sold one to myself, right? I was the four, I was the fourteenth because I had gone and and sold. So, so, so that belief, that belief, you can't just tell it to yourself. You have to prove it to yourself through action. And there's a lot of things happening in my life at that time. That was one big experience. The other was actually a, a rain experience. Uh, Doctor Paul Stoltz, you had him coming in yes. for resilience training, and you know what what he taught. Uh, about getting back up on the horse quicker was was really key because you get a lot of through through those fourteen sales. Believe that there there was a lot of no's, right? Uh, there was a lot of no's to get to that, so that was key as well. And and then last, I had one other big experience of training for a my first endurance uh, my first endurance ride for biking. Uh, I did the Grand Fondo that year, and and um, that belief again that you can do things that you've never done before really that that year changed my life. Hey, what was your time at Grand Fondo? I don't want to talk about it. Patrick. Come on. Did you break <laughs> did you break five hours? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> there, there's so so two 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 experiences. There's a guy on a unicycle that almost beat me. That's number one. Well, okay, number so but like you gotta cut yourself some slack. It, it, you you didn't take it on like I'm gonna kill Fondo. You you took it Correct. on as I'm gonna I'm gonna complete it. And, Correct. And there's a Correct. way. And I and I did, I, did com- I did complete it, Patrick. I yeah. did complete it. Yeah. The, uh, I'm also a type one diabetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also, you know, my belief, my belief, uh, probably a negative belief was that I had no athletic ability. Maybe my grand fondo time is evidence of that here. But no, it's it's. It, there were some limiting beliefs in my life, and uh, and I would highly encourage anybody that has limiting beliefs on the physical side to go and and do some type of endurance. But I, I I'm not known as an athlete of any kind and it was really hard and there was one state point when i was going up the furry creek hill where i hear this i hear this squeaking patrick the squeaking i'm like what's that squeaking and i look over to the left and there's this like 80 year old there's this 80 year old that's slow like just slowly passing me right and i'm just you know it's one of those moments where you ask what have i done with my life and the squeaking was his knees yeah no no, his bike was older than (laughs) he was patrick i'm sitting there with my new carbon fiber bike and he's on his old steely and and uh anyways it was a Uh, a a wonderful uh wonderful experience and and really again to, to highlight it belief when i crossed that finish line i believed something about myself differently than what I believed when I when I started, and that what you believe about yourself is is you know a huge predictor of of what you're going to accomplish. I think it's so important, and you know there's a there's a I don't know I, it's it's actually come up for me even more recently, which is believe in yourself. 
you must, you must be telling yourself, I believe in myself. You have to, because whether others do, but I want to go back. So it's such a, I, I love that topic and, and that whole belief system, because we, we operate on top of what, you know, my wife, Stephanie talks about all the time. We, uh, we, we have this whole BS, right? Our, you know, this, our belief systems are, are BS and you have to really, really be conscious about looking at those belief systems. And, uh, and you, and I think you shine a, li- a great light on it. I had a similar experience, by the way, I used to run half marathons. I was never a long runner because, you know, I was always that 200 pound guy and, uh, you know, kind of a Clydesdale, but I remember running a half marathon of Victoria, the Royal Marathon, and 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 my time was actually was really really quite strong for me. And um, I had this guy who was probably 15 years older than me. I was at 45 at the time, and uh, yeah, he just chugged right past me, and I went shit, and I was feeling really <laughs> good about myself, but I did did break my time, so that's that's what matters. So I didn't know that about you, Patrick. That's fantastic. <laughs> So, um, okay, so let's go back a little bit to some kind of thought processes around how conscious of, are you, and, and this is an interesting, and, and I'm, I'm kind of delving into this a little bit, my thought process behind this conversation with you, Justin, is, is you, you're doing what you're doing, you're, you're, you've got your belief system. You know, when you're sitting around the table and Dave looks at you and goes, well, quite frankly, Justin, I'm a little let down or disappointed or whatever that is. Do you was do you think you took action be, from Dave because you heard it as he believed in you and thought that you were shelling yourself short, or do you or do you? I don't get. I mean, Dave's a hard ass. He's a smart guy and he's <laughs> uber successful, but he's a hard ass. And and you know he's clear, he's concise, he doesn't mince words. Generally, he's pretty always direct. But how did you, how did it land for you? So do you, you know, when I, when I think about mentorship or guidance, did it kind of make you feel like, well, shit, if Dave believes in me and I don't believe in myself, I got to pick up my game or, yeah. what, or, or did you feel made wrong? I know you were crushed by it because well, he's at, telling at you the first, truth. Yeah. At first, I mean, you're in a group, you're in a group setting and, and you know, I, you don't want to, you don't want to look bad. And so at first you're kind of like, I don't want to say you're you're offended, but you're you're taken aback, right? And and you don't know what to think of it. But when when you go home and and you reflect on it, you say maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, but it benefits me to be wrong, then what would I rather be? You know, would would I would I rather be right and accomplish less, or wrong and accomplish more? And I'd rather be wrong and and accomplish more, right? And I. I he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And I think that could be true of a lot of people that have ever had a mentor in their life. Right. You know, and, and that's really, that's really the value value of a mentor is they can go and, and bring action out of you that, that wouldn't have come out of you otherwise. I love that. And I love that perspective. I mean, that is a very, very, I, I think not a common way to look at that conversation. So good for you. That's a lot of wisdom at a at a young age to take that on that way. You know, I, I I see myself is that I see so many because of course of what I've been doing and what we do with Rain over so many years. And I know, you know, I've gotten to know and meet many, many people, coached many. And it's really difficult to get people to believe in themselves. And I often have said to you know, individuals that I've gotten to know, I've, I've actually said to them, 
let me give you how I see you, but how you see, how I, I believe you're seeing yourself. And it's often so different. Like, this is how I see you. I see you as this, you know, smart, interactive, you can do it, get it done. You've got the ability. Like, I, that's how, literally how I see you. And yet so many people don't see themselves that way. So I think from a, a mentorship point of view, I think whenever you can surround yourself with somebody that will uh, kind of call you on your shit, it's a, it's a good thing. Yeah. People are afraid of getting started, uh, Patrick. Uh, you know, I, when I, when I started, when I started biking, you know, they, nobody wants to look dumb. Right. And, and I, uh, I picked it up as a, you know, in my mid twenties. Right. So I wasn't, I wasn't the, the teenager ripping around in spandex. Actually, I made, I made fun of those people when I was growing up. <clears throat> and so I, I bought, I bought the bike and, and, uh, you know, I was pretty scared about getting the clip, the clipless pedals and, you know, falling down and, and the spandex that all of a sudden I was going to be wearing. Right. And, and, uh, so I go and I start to buy the equipment and, and I'm at one of the stores and the guy says, oh, you know, Sugo is having a sale down the road, a big warehouse sale. Go check it out. Poor store that, uh, one of their customers was sending me away to another store, but, um, I go in and I, you know, I have no clue what I'm doing. I wasn't with anybody else that rides bikes. So I start picking out these different things, Patrick, and you, they've got a huge change room. It's just a common change room, no separate stalls or anything like that for the guys. And, and I'm trying on all these different tights and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I look goofy. I look goofy. I'm a little overweight. And, and, uh, but you know, whatever. Right. So I pick up my stuff, you know, I've been changing for all these guys here and I pick up all my stuff, feel a little weird, but let go home. Right. And I start riding my bike and my pants, I, it was winter time. So, so I was excited to get a start on training for the Fondo winter time. My pants kept getting caught in the gears and I'm thinking, you know, man, this is, this is awful. Like who would design pants that have a, a little flare out at the bottom, Patrick, to, to get caught in the gears. <laughs> so of course I, I you know, I, I get a little bit deflated here, but I've had my first ride on the bike feeling pretty good. My wife comes home and I tell her, you know, tell her what I've been up to and the different stuff that I've got. And, and I said, but you know, honey, these, these pants, these pants, I, you know, what's the deal? Why would they flare it out at the bottom? And she picks them up and she looks at them and she says, Justin, these are women's yoga pants. <laughs> I knew that was coming. That's so good. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, well, first of all, I'm like, well, that makes a lot of sense now, right? Like that's why they're flared at the bottom. But then second of all, I rewind, I rewind the clock and I'm thinking about this time when I'm putting on these women's yoga pants and doing the stretch in this change room with all these other dudes. And nobody had, nobody wanted to tell me that I was putting on women's yoga pants, you know, and, and ultimately I can laugh about it, right? You know, nobody wants to look stupid. Nobody wants to start Patrick, but, but two things, it's no big deal. You know, I wore some women's yoga pants. I got over it pretty quickly. And then the second part is, is if you're part of a community, you know, when you see somebody struggling, this is the part I love about the real estate community and, and rain in particular, if someone's struggling, there's people that, that know what they're doing and they are willing to share. Right. Um, unlike, unlike what happened to me in the men's change room that day, they're, they're willing to help you out when, when you don't know what you're doing. So, you know, there's a lot more, there's a lot of good people out there. There's a lot of good advice. And even if you don't get it, you know, if you're taking risks, you can afford to take, you're going to learn through the process and eventually you'll figure it out. And who cares about, you know, the one or two crappy deals you did as long as they were risks you could afford to take. 
Tell me a little bit about how you got to, I want, I want to know, and, and we'll wrap this, you know, at, at, when we come back to it, I want to talk a little bit more about um, Hawkeye Wealth, but I want to look back at how you kind of entered the space of being an entrepreneur. Now, if I'm listening to you, you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm saying, well, there comes this time where you go, it's like either, you know, shit or get off the pot, like get to work. I don't, I can't get a job. So, you know, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to step into being an entrepreneur, which is really what you became quite early on. But what was your background growing up? Were your parents entrepreneurial? Like, because I don't know if being an entrepreneur wasn't your goal. You came out of university with your MBA going, okay, I'm going to get a great job. So how did, what was your background? Can you, can you look at it and say, how the hell did I end up doing all this? Yeah. I mean, I asked myself that question. I, th- there might've been some seeds of, of entrepreneurship younger, I, you know, like some people do the lemonade stand. Did you, did you ever do the, the lemonade stand, Patrick? Yeah. The versions of it, but I, I did actually, I did you know, mowing lawn and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so a couple things here, I, I did a lemonade stand and, and, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't the guy that goes out for a couple hours and does a lemonade stand. My grandma had a, uh, a house in Kamloops on Tronquille Road out by the airport. And I went and I, I set up my lemonade stand and I'd stay there for about 10 hours. Um, I had some some magazines that I would read and and I wouldn't do it for one day. I did it for, you know, two weeks straight, right? And eventually you go, you go, cars are passing me, but they're not, they pass me on day one. Maybe they don't stop by for some lemonade. They pass me on day two. Maybe they stop by for some lemon. They don't stop by, right? You know, by day five, I had, you know, I had guys and gals popping by and handing me cash, not even, not even uh, buying the lemonade. And I, I, you know, it's, uh, I I was able to buy back at that time, a a new disc man. I bought a TV. You know, I bought some serious stuff with my lemonade stand, probably more than, than most kids get with it. So, you know, that persistence and my grandma still reminds me about the lemonade stand. Every time I go there, Justin, yeah, remember the time? And I, yeah, grandma, I, I remember the time. Our grandma's great. Yeah, oh man, and, it was the best. And so now uh, what was your relationship with your parents? You know, were you, were you guys pretty tight? Were they pretty supportive? You know, who looked after you the best, your dad, your mom, were they kind of on point? <laughs> you know, I was, I'm one of six kids. Oh, <laughs> I am one of six kids and my parents, uh, I'm so lucky to be born into the family uh, that I was born into. Uh, I think they did a wonderful job given six kids. I've got one, Patrick. Yeah, I've well, got one. You were sometimes... uh, obviously the golden child. They, they probably you know, like you. Know they what? you I, I'm the third. I'm the third of six. And I think uh, the, the dynamic was, you know, a lot of time uh, spent on number one, numbered and, and number two. And, and then... You know, my parents were into the middle of their careers. I don't want to say I got forgotten about Patrick, but I was never enough of the squeaky wheel that my yeah, parents yeah. really ever. Totally. So, so I kind of just did my thing in my family and and very much uh, I viewed myself as, and some of my siblings have said it, that Justin's, you know, the peacemaker mediator between the older, the older half and the younger half. Right. So, um, wasn't given a lot of direction that way. When I did start, when I did start getting into a, a career that, that had the potential to make good money, but also had the potential to make zero dollars. Uh, my parents, and I think, <clears throat> I think parents mostly are wired this way, uh, were scared. They were scared. They don't want, they don't want to see their kids uh, struggle badly, even though they kind of know that, that they had to struggle badly too. This is, you know, kind of the path that people have to take to become who they need to become. 
And uh, at one point, they actually uh, pulled my wife aside and said, you know, don't quit your job. Because four months after I, I started doing uh, what I was doing and started making some money, um, Elaine started working with me. And so, you know, they, they pulled her aside separate. And I gave, I gave my parents a hard time about that one. And I think if they were to go ask for a redo, they probably wouldn't pull her aside and try and convince her not to quit her job, right? And, and get rid of that safety net. Um, but my parents, no, not entrepreneurs. Uh, dad, dad is a, uh, uh, in the government. Mom stayed at home, uh, raised us as kids, went back to school. I actually went to university with my mom for one year when she went back to get me trained as a... <laughs> that's, that's cool as a physiotherapist assistant. And, and that was never really the thing in my family. And I think a big part of it too was, you know, my dad's got a great pension, a great pension. You know, there, there was never really a necessity to go and, and, you know, be entrepreneurial or take risks on the investment side. And, and, you know, my, my, my pension's probably the same as yours, Patrick. Whatever we create. <laughs> it's a big fat goose egg, right? So, so you know, you, this is the path that I've chosen, and I'd say now, after a number of years, of course, they see they see the results, and and they're very happy, and I can tell that they're proud. But uh, I would say no. Uh, at the very start, um, they were very they were very concerned, and I think I even went through a period of uh, almost rebellion against my my parents. Where I, I remember we were doing a family trip down in Oregon. And, um, one of the, my favorite things I loved to do as a kid was to do kites. And I went back as an adult here in my, in my mid late twenties. And, you know, sometimes you just go back and you want to re-experience what it was like to be a kid. So I wanted to fly the kite. Right. And so grab the kite. And, and of course my, my dad's telling me, Justin, you can't fly the kite. There's no wind. I'm like, well, frick, I'm flying this kite. Like this kite will be flown. Right. And, and, you know, I ended up running for two kilometers <laughs> to get this thing up. But, you know, and I was thinking, yeah, my first thought was, man, dad was right. But then my second thought, you know, sometimes in life, you have to make your own wind. And uh, that's the life of an entrepreneur. And that's the life of an entrepreneur. And I, uh, I'm, you know, now have very supportive and, and great relationship and no rebellion. But uh grateful, grateful to have the role I have and sometimes make my own wind. The thing that I, I kind of pick up on a little bit around this, and I want to kind of circle back and think about from your perspective, you know, at 35 years old, and, and I, I know I'm harping on that a little bit and it's not the intention. It's just to really shine a light on that kind of age category. You know, you talked about Paul Stoltz, you know, the work we did with Paul Stoltz early on and, and around, you know, resilience and what is your adversity quotient, your AQ. So, you know, it was how, how well do you deal with that? Now, is that something that you consciously have come to adapt to? So, because we all face adversity, you know, some people fold up like a, you know, a bad umbrella or a cheap umbrella. Um, others take it on and go, you know, something, what doesn't kill me, make me stronger. I'm going to take this on. Others become what, you know, Paul used to talk about is the camper. You know, well, no, I'm just a happy camper. You know, don't give me too much adversity. I'm just really, really good where I'm at. We've probably all heard somebody say, no, you know, I'm a, I'm a happy camper. I don't need more than I got, which is fine. Not making it wrong. But then there's somebody like you who looks at it and goes, you know, the hell with that. I, I'm taking this on. I'm going to face it. I'm going to overcome the adversity and I'm going to grow from it. So 
is that a trained thing or did you come by that naturally? How much of that kind of personal professional development work do you do? How much awareness do you have around who you're being, how you're being, how you move forward? Is that something that you've trained into yourself? The nature nurture um, thing as it, as it, relates to uh, resiliency or adversity quotient it's you know i think most of it is trained patrick uh, and i have i have to believe that because if i look at who i am now versus who i was 10 years ago i'm grateful that i don't think i recognize myself in many different um, in many different ways. Sure, my sense of humor might be somewhat similar. Uh, certain personality traits, they probably don't they don't change too much. Um, but my ability, my ability to take a hit and keep going now is many, many, many fold what it was. and 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 if that's the case, then it has to be a lot of, uh, a lot of nurture to it versus nature. Now I, I do believe that there's some things that, uh, you know, are, are given to us by DNA, but it doesn't serve me to believe that. I mean, great, great book by Carol Dweck called mindset. You've probably seen it before. Um, talks about how, you know, even your IQs are, are you can change them. You can literally change how smart you are. And you think, you think, you know, well, if you grow up and you have a belief that you're, that you're not smart and so why, why do anything, then what a, what an awful belief that is, right? In grade, in grade one, I was, I didn't know this, uh, I didn't know this until I was an adult, Patrick, but in grade one, I was put into a special class, um, put into a special class because, you know, my, my J's were backwards, my K's were backwards, and they were really concerned that, that I wasn't going to be able to read or write properly. And man, how grateful am I that I didn't learn that, that, you know, they didn't think I was very good at these things until I was an adult. Because could you imagine if you grow up with that belief as a kid that you just are who you are and, and, you know, Justin's, Justin's the slow one in the class and, and, and how much that would limit my life. So, you know, it's, it's so key, the seeds that you let get planted in your head. And I feel very fortunate that, you know, that the bad seeds that I've had, I've been able to remove a number of them, not all of them. It's still a work in progress, Patrick. I'm st- I've still got my limiting beliefs. Okay, but- dude, I'm 61 and I'm still a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> Big work in progress. Yeah, yeah. Now, you're a new dad, a relatively new dad. You're not a new dad, but you're a relatively new dad. You've got a child. Yeah, turning uh, four in March. Turning four. And uh, so that had to open up your eyes to how you're being and who you're being. You, Of course, those are very key years for, for children. And do you and Elaine, do you kind of, I look at this whole development stuff, you know, nurture, nature, all of those things. So are you, do you have an awareness around how you're showing up even around your child? Like, is are those things that you think about? They are. They are. The you know, I love I love being a dad, and I you know of course you can't imagine uh, anybody with kids can't imagine their their life without their kids, right? You have to become a different person when you become a parent, though. <laughs> you can't you can't stay the course. Um, otherwise, your your kids probably just not going to be who they need to be. Uh, what I'm trying to figure out right now, Patrick, and I haven't fully figured it out. Like I struggled, I struggled when he was a newborn. I, 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 you know, the little, the little cuddly, all that kind of, Ooh, 
uh, that wasn't really my thing. And so I struggled, you know, does that make me a bad human? Does that make me a bad dad? And, and I always kind of like, oh, I'm excited for him to get older. And so I can start messing with him a little bit and, you know, joking around. And we're kind of at that stage now. He says some, says some pretty, says some pretty funny stuff. Uh, Patrick, it's, uh, okay, I'm going to throw this one out there, but, uh, sorry if it run, you know, it's a little raunchy for the podcast here, but he says, <laughs> he says, daddy, I burped out my bummy. And and that's his way of saying that he farted. Like, that's funny. That's funny. That <laughs> is funny. It's really funny. So, you know, I, I'm starting to enjoy that a little bit more, but uh, the, 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 challenges around, the challenges around being an entrepreneur and making sure you're spending enough time with your kid. And that is a, that is a difficult thing to do. And, and I think it was laid out in uh, the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller, one of my, my all-time favorites. You know, he talks about, about work health and family life being three balls um, that you're juggling constantly between them. Cause you can't, you know, right now I'm not with my family. I'm with you, Patrick. So this is the one that I'm holding the work ball right now. Right. So we're constantly juggling these three balls. And he says the different, the only difference is with the work ball is a rubber ball. The family and, and the health ball are both made of glass and it causes me to reflect because you can drop the work ball at any time. It's going to come, it'll come back for you. There's always, always work to be done, but I've tried to keep that in mind as, as my kids getting older now that there's just certain balls that can't afford to be dropped. And, and it's, uh, you know, as an, as an entrepreneur, that's, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. So what I'm trying to do is find if it's a Venn diagram between what I like to do and my kid likes to do, I'm trying as he gets older, trying to find maybe where that, uh, where the sweet Where spot the is. is sure yeah it's, t- it's tough it is now what are you reading these days i mean you've you've dropped you know you've dropped the name of a couple of books but are you a reader like what kind of development training do you provide yourself what, what are you reading these days are you are, are you an avid reader do you what do you do to yeah look I, I read i read of course uh i lo- love to read actually sorry reading's probably not the word i'm an audible guy yeah and, me too, uh, me I don't, too. I, yeah, I don't, I don't have any, uh, I don't have any deal with audible when I send them referrals, but it's, I'm a huge advocate. And if you're not, uh, if you're not subscribed, you know, or you don't have access to listening while you're driving or when you're working out or any of these different things, I think you're really missing out. But, uh, there's always a few different classics. I'm, I'm, but the classics in my world are, are a few. It's, it's seven habits of highly effective people. It's not going to, not reinventing the wheel anymore. I was actually listening to your podcast yesterday with Jennifer Hunt, and you guys talk a lot about uh, Rich Dad. I've never read Rich Dad Poor Dad. So Are you kidding one. me right I now? I can be your one in ten, Patrick. I don't know. So, so I I cheated and I watched the YouTube video, and uh, like I do with lots of of uh, books that get turned into movies, I just watch watch the video. But uh, <laughs> seven habits of highly effective people. That's number one. Uh, number two is the one thing by Gary Keller. I, it's newer. Uh, so it may not have that iconic classic status, but it is an incredible book. And then a third that I highly recommend is the Atomic Habits. It's the uh, there's a lot of different books around habits, and I've read a number of different books. But Atomic Habits synthesizes the different schools of thought around it very well, and and turns it into uh, practical applications that I think any of the audience can take. Because I think habits is if people can figure that part out, you know, more than as much as any other uh, element of success that we've talked about today, I think habits. Yeah. Atomic habits. I read that some time ago. Uh, Very good. 
you know, I think too is Audible. I'm an Audible fan, but there's also uh, the realization that not everybody learns. They can't have that auditory learning. They, you know, when I talk to different friends who they need that book in their hand, they need to highlight stuff and all that. And, and so I like Audible because if I'm working around the acreage or I'm driving or whatever, I like to listen to stuff all the time. But I also am an avid writer. Like I must journal. I must have a pad of paper. I must be taking notes. That's just kind of how I'm wired. But it's really learning how you're wired. You know, an an interesting book that I'm reading right now, just because we're talking a little bit about books and and I read a lot, a lot, a lot and uh, or listen a lot. Um, It's kind of one of my things. But I just... Uh, started listening to the 5 a.m. club with uh, by Robin Sharma because I'm an early riser and I go, okay, well, let me see what Robin's got to say about it. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of good stuff in that book, but we were talking about Audible and I go, you know, I don't like the way it's read. You know, it's the narrator makes a big difference. Well, you know, he's the narrator's good, but you know, Robin Sharma, and I'm a, I'm a bit of a fan of Robin. There's something about him that I'm not a fan of. I'm not quite, doesn't really matter. Uh, but the point is, is that he wrote it in a style that's hard to listen to because he tried to wrap the story into it. And I'm going, I, I'm not interested in the story. You know, give me, give me what the book is really trying to say to me. And and I think if I just, dist- I'm going to listen to it all. I'll put up with it, but I'll distill it. You know, if I were to, I, I think I'm going to come out the other side of it and go, I could have distilled this into about a 20 minute conversation, you know, and just yes. the way he stretched it out. Anyways, are you an early riser? No. Are you? Are, <laughs> <laughs> let, me put it, let me put it this way: I'm not part of the I'm not part of the 5 a.m. club. But having a kid having a kid does mean I'm up I'm up earlier. I'm up uh, I'm up right around 7:30 a.m. every day. Sure. Now, okay, but you know, like so for for Jennifer, for example, you know, one of her things is that she's her her clock. You know, physiologically, she's wired. Like she, if she doesn't get to bed by 11, if she starts thinking at 11 o'clock at night, she's up till three or four in the morning. That she's she's reverse of us, so we've come to know that about Jennifer, and 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 we kind of give her, we tease her a little bit about it. And it's all in good fun because we really do know how she's wired. So when we call a eight a.m. meeting or sometimes even a seven a.m. meeting, uh, it's like what the hell? What hit me? Right. So that's Jennifer. So are you also? Do you have that? Do you, are you yes. able to stay up late? Yes, I have other people in the Hawkeye Wealth team that if there's a downtown seven a.m. They've got it. <laughs> they know better than to say Justin. Yeah, it's uh, well, you know, by the time you get down there and you park and you do everything, it's uh, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not my thing. My quiet time. I do, I do like to um, another book here, and then I'll, I'll say why I'm saying it here. There's a book called Quiet uh, that talks about the power of introverts, and and I say that because I would, I'm not, I'm not far on on the introvert side of the spectrum, but I'm, I am just on the introvert side. So if there's a middle. I'm, I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. And for me, uh, the quiet, you, you, everyone needs some quiet time. So, uh, you know, for most people, that's either the morning or that's the night, right? And for me, that's the night. And in a role that requires me to be or act extroverted for a pretty good portion of my day, this is, a, this is, this is an act of extroversion right here, right, Patrick? So sure. this, this will have to be complemented by some quiet alone time uh, tonight. So for me, that's, that's uh, always been the evenings and I try and, you know, get, get my exercise in, in the evenings as well. That just helps me, uh, helps me think much more clearly. And if you can exercise and listen to your audible at the same time, I, I find it takes your listening experience to a whole new level as well. 
So that's an important point, you know, because I talk about it with entrepreneurs and with just people in general. So, you know, you're, you're well-read, you, you then also look after yourself physically. So you're quite health conscious and, um, your, your wife aligns with that kind of train of thought as well. Are you guys on the same page in that regard? Not all couples are built that way, but. Uh, very much so. Very much so. Um, my wife, my wife, uh, she handles, handles a lot of the bookkeeping, does, uh, some of the different, uh, work for Hawkeye, but also she, she stays at home and really takes care at the home. And I did one thing that's, I've always been uh, impressed about with Elaine is, is there's probably an opportunity to not do as much as she does. And, and she never takes it. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed at how much like anybody in any role can, can grow. And we've been able to grow together. And, and the cool part about that is that, you know, I'm, I'm a different human than I was 10 years ago. She's a different human than she was uh, 10 years ago. And it just makes for amazing conversations. Uh, you know, where we've been married now for, for nine years, next year will be our 10th year anniversary. And I, I enjoy our conversation as much uh, as I ever have, just because you keep on evolving and becoming new people and it keeps keeps you interesting so yes on on the same page uh, on the same page for growth the growth you know how, how you choose to grow might be differently it might be different right you know she wants to expand maybe the musical component or or different different stuff in her life than i want to expand but but same principle expand grow and, and communicate so let's just you know kind of as, as we start to wind down i want a little bit i uh, want to know a little bit more about hawkeye now uh your your choosing projects, then you're bringing investors to the table. Why are you, and I'm not saying you're suggesting it, but I mean, it's in your world. What is it that you offer, you know, what is a, you know, an investment in an LP offer, for example, that buying an actual hard asset in terms of buying it, managing it, doing all that. Why, why is somebody going that way versus you know, picking up a single family or multifamily property and, and making it work. Yeah. It depends. It depends on who you are. Most of our clients fall into three different buckets. Uh, either a, you're the professional that, you know, you're very good at your job, high, high income. You don't really want to go out and source the deal yourself and do, and do all that work. The second group would be the, entrepreneur, kind of the same thing focused on their business. Their time is better leveraged in their business than trying to leverage it in, in real estate. So, um, that would be the second group. And the third group would be the group that has spent a lot of time in real estate. They may have been a do, be a, being a do it yourselfer for the majority of their life. And maybe they've had a lot of success in real estate, but for all three of these groups, and especially the third we found that at some point in people's lives, time becomes the new money. Mm -hmm. Time becomes the new money. The value of the time is significantly higher. So, you know, that's where we come in. And, and oftentimes, you know, if let's take the do it yourself, or for example, maybe, maybe they don't want to do business with us. Five, I mean, I met, maybe I met someone five years ago, right. And they, they weren't ready. Right. But Five years later, all of a sudden, you know, mom and dad are getting sick or, or, you know, they have different life events. And, and all of a sudden the passive aspect of, of the deal is, you know, meaningful for them. And they still, cause they have other options for, for passive investments, but they still like real estate and they still want some control over the type of deals that they're going into. Unlike a REIT where you put your cash in, it's completely 
passive, but there's no control over the deal that that REIT invests in. So uh, I think people that uh, that like to go and do their due diligence like to have some control over the deals that they go into and that appreciate that passive aspect and they get access to different markets and different opportunities that they that they may undertake on their own, right? They, you might be an expert in one market, but you want a little bit of diversification. So instead of going and becoming an expert in another market, you go and, and trust experts that are already there. You know, you bring up an interesting point, you know, at our Acre events and, and workshops that we, and we talk about it all the time with the community, with RAIN members, which is the matrix of time, money, knowledge, and focus. So to your point, you maybe have some t- high income earners that are are not necessarily all that knowledgeable, or do they have the time to take on and owning and managing a hard asset called a single family? So that really they know they have money and they have time, they don't have knowledge, and their focus is building great careers, building a great business, and so they take it that direction. So that whole time, money, knowledge, uh, focus conversation is really, really important, and it's like. You know, we talk often about time management, but really it's about focus management. We use the whole time management excuse, but really it's focus management. Where is your focus? So I also see the those, you know, a REIT, an LP, the stuff that you guys are doing as, as an opportunity for people to really look and say, I'm going to focus on my career. I'm going to focus on my business. My time is best spent doing that. It's not best spent buying a hard asset. And I think sometimes we can get caught in the trap of thinking, well, we should own that one, two, three, five doors. And, and then we miss the opportunities that somebody like yourself presents. Now, in your case, um, do you have a? Is there a minimum investment that you that you have for the stuff that you're doing? Uh, really depends on the deal. So yeah. I, you know, I don't, I wouldn't go into it necessarily just because it it varies. But yeah, we do sure. we we do work with accredited investors, and yeah. and the definition can change. But uh, the definition typically means typically there's there's other uh, exceptions too, but typically means you meet one of the following three criteria, not all three, just one of the three. Uh, you either make $200,000 a year uh, and, and you're going to make it this year and you've made it the past two years or the same thing combined with your spouse, but $300,000. Number two is you have a million dollars in net financial assets. So what this would not include is your personal residence or any of uh, any of the equity in your investment properties. So this would only include cash, securities, uh, and life insurance policies with a cash surrender value. So you add those three up, if it's over a million bucks, then you're an accredited investor. And then the third would be a net worth of over $5 million. Now, the definition of net worth is, is pretty broad, but you can include your principal residence and of course, all of your investment properties in that as well. So if you meet uh, those criteria, then our only job in the world is to say, okay, well, yeah, you're eligible to participate in these deals. Now, are the deals suitable? Uh, for you, because just because you're accredited doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea for you to invest, right? And I, my personal my personal view of risk is that it's better viewed subjectively, because you know if you and I both invest in the exact same deal, Patrick, the risk of the deal is the risk of the deal. It doesn't change, you know, whether you're investing in it or I'm investing in it. But but I think it's more meaningful to say what's the risk to Patrick if this deal goes wrong versus the risk to Justin if this deal goes wrong. And um, that's oftentimes a very different, you know, a very different answer. So the two questions we ask are, can they absorb the risk? 
you know, do you, do you have enough money where you can absorb the risk? Do you understand it? And can you absorb it? And do you feel good uh, about the risk? Your feeling can make a difference too, because we might have the exact same money, the exact same subjective risk, Patrick, but I might be more risk averse than you are. So, you know, it's that combination of, of your ability to absorb it and how you feel uh, about, about it here. And so our job is two things. It's to find out, do you have enough money to be eligible for these investments? And after that, uh, is it suitable for you? Because again, I've, I've talked to people where I actually think they can absorb the risk, no problem. Their portfolio would take it on, but they don't feel good about it. So I wouldn't, you know, don't, don't push them on it, right? And then the opposite is also sometimes true where they feel really good about it. And I just say, please don't, just, no, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not doing it. So I had, I had, one, I had one person that, that wanted to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into a deal and you know, it's a good day for Hawkeye Wealth, right? We're in the business of raising money. Of course, we want to raise money. But this, he, he had one other deal that he, only one other deal in his portfolio that was in. So he'd have his, he's retired, would have his money spread across two deals. He's comfortable with that risk, right? I, he does not have the ability to absorb, absorb that risk. And so I just, you know, for me, it's just a straight up, it's a straight up, no, I want to sleep at night too. We talked about the stress of losing my friends three grand. Well, think about somebody, you know, it doesn't affect his lifestyle at all. Think about a retired person that you're going to devastate their life if these deals go wrong. So of course we're in real estate. We like real estate. We like the, the risk adjusted returns of real estate, but I'm always asking that question because, you know, being a steward of money and other people's money is a, is a huge responsibility. And, and, um, we, we take it seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's really, really great point made, which is there is that mental component to it. So you guys carry a lot of responsibility and you have to kind of really assess what it is that you're, uh, how you're working with those clients. I love that perspective, by the way. It's great. Well, Justin, this has been really great. And I, uh, and we got to wind down. So I could carry on this conversation. I got a whole list of questions, but we're not going to get there. Let's do some rapid fire as we go away. Some rapid fire questions. You ready for that? Hit me. Okay. Well, this is an easy one because we did talk about it. Now, aside from the seven uh, habits of highly effective people, what's your favorite book? We know it's not Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Besides uh, seven habits. See, I put you on the spot, people. didn't I? You, no, you, you did. I would say quiet. Okay. Because I think it's an important one out there that might not get the recognition it, it deserves for introverts. And I think our, our world is more powerful uh, when introverts are, are in the game. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? Whether you think you're wrong or you think you're, you know, sorry, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. That one's uh, Mr. Ford, I believe. Yeah. If heaven exists, what do you hear, want to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? Nice work. Uh, here's an interesting one. On a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? Eight. Oh, well, that's not so bad. Is there something that you're just not very good at? You keep trying it, but wait, 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 Patrick, hold on, hold on, hold on. I say, I say that I, uh, I burped out my bummy, and and I. <laughs> Hey, do I got to, did I need to up it a, a level to be an eight? Did I need to go a little bit farther? We can do that. Okay. Who am I? Who am I? All right. All right. Who Sorry, am I going. to judge that? What are you not very good at? Is there some, the stuff that you keep trying that you're, that you're just not very good at? Administration. Administration. Yeah. You know what I'm not very good at? And I, and it is so freaking like, I, 
I try and work my calendar and I'm a, I like, I'm pretty competent, but if I go to invite somebody in my calendar, it just keeps showing up. I put it wrong date, wrong time. And I'm like, I'm, I just, I baffle myself, you know, Cheryl, who's just it looks after me so well in that category. She goes, why do you bother? And I go, well, because it just seems more efficient if I do it myself. And I reason, I, the only reason I bring this up was just yesterday. I'm, I'm like WhatsApping Jennifer and I'm going, Can, are you available? Let's talk Friday, da, da, da. She goes, yeah, should get, send me a meeting invite. And instead of saying, Cheryl, can you set up a meeting invite with Jennifer and I for Friday at one o'clock? I said, well, I'm right, right in front of my computer. Let me do it. And guess what? I, I, I set it for the wrong, like it was a Friday and I set it for the wrong Friday and I go, and she, she texts me back and she goes, PF, why do you keep trying to send meeting invites? Quit it. And I go, well, fine. You should have done it. Anyways. Is it, is it an attention, is an attention to the little details thing for you? <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. I have to, I have mm -hmm. to look at that a little deeper, I think. Anyways, uh, room desk or your car. What do you clean first? Desk. Do you have a favorite tune? No. Favorite movie? Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. See, that's a statement of who you are, by the way. But I'll let that one go. What's your... It, it, it's hard <laughs> to be funny and clean, Patrick. <laughs> What's your favorite swear word? Don't swear. Oh, you're, you're one of those guys that has a really, really strong command of the English language. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Just don't... <laughs> Myself, on the other hand, I, I don't. So I have a tendency to drop drop F-bombs frequently. And what are you grateful for today, Justin? I have to get past the low-hanging fruit of being here with you today, Patrick. That's low-hanging. Yeah. But I appreciate I it. Today I'm grateful for... the uh, My team's... Uh, we've, had, we've had a project we've been working on for the last few days. And my team has executed on it to a very high level. So I'm just grateful to have an incredible uh, team around me that has fully bought into what we're doing and, and is executing at a very high level and, and uh, is bringing us and of course, more importantly, our clients, a lot of success. That's awesome. I'm always grateful, of course, for the guests that I have on my show. First and foremost, sincerely grateful, uh, sincerely grateful for your time and energy that you, uh, and your insights and wisdom that you brought to the podcast. Appreciate it. I'm a, I journal daily and I have for many years and, and, uh, today actually in my journal, as I wrapped up what I was journaling about, I always put something, I, I write three things that I'm, I'm grateful for. And today what showed up for me, because I'm getting my ass handed to me in, in business and some stuff, I went, I realized how grateful I am for the challenges that I'm facing because they have made me so much better, so much smarter, and uh, so much more resilient and, uh, and, a, and an even bigger uh, contribution that I'll have to uh, be able to uh, put out in front of brain members and uh, lessons learned. Don't learn them. Just don't follow my lead. Learn from my mistakes. So that's what I'm grateful for today. And uh, Justin, I want to say thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, 
If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.